Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy. And today our topic is going to be demonstrating the existence of God. And this may sound very kind of fundamental, and it is, uh, for good reason. Um, but I was recently reading uh, an essay by uh, Cardinal Ratzinger that he wrote in 1983, which was, I mean, gosh, it was a lifetime ago if you're my age. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I was reading this, this article, and it had to do with uh, catechesis. And he was saying in this article that when one looks around the modern world, in the technological world, one does not immediately encounter God. Uh, and he says, well, it's not necessarily a bad thing. He's just saying, you know, it's it's that's the case is that one does not immediately encounter God. We don't have to we don't have to work for work with the, the, the seasons. Uh, we can we can move through our life uh, from one 72 degree environment to the next 72 degree. you know, in our cars, we can control the environment. And so, you know, just in, in that's one example of, you know, how we can kind of. Uh, go through our lives where everything around us simply points to the greatness of man. And so uh, a phrase that Cardinal Ratzinger uh, used often was an eclipse of the sense of God, Uh, meaning that it's for, especially for the modern person, because we live in this kind of society where everything around us uh, points to man. I mean, think about like you, you drive in front of a business and uh, you see all the trees well, those trees were artificial, even though the trees are natural, they're, they were artificially sure. put there. You know, they were, right. you know, the, you yeah. Mean tree, you mean, you mean uh, Bradford pears don't grow <laughs> in straight rows down the median of a Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, uh, what is it, the uh, the orange trees in Rome, you know, things like that. Like they were, they're, even the trees, you know, point to, oh, look at, look at how, you know, some guy designed these trees and while yeah right. yeah those things you know are beautiful and they they can point to God and stuff there's just this this uh, uh as cardinal ratzinger said this this eclipse of the sense of god and so uh we know that you know many times we have to go back to these fundamental questions uh, uh demonstrating god's existence and so uh that's where we're going to uh start today uh and again begin with good guides uh, that's, that's one right. of our kind of one of our mottos here at Catholic Studies sure. Academy is that we should always seek sound guides so that we can stand on firm ground uh, whenever mm-hmm. we speak or write uh, or think. Uh, and right. so, and so, in this episode of Doctor Smith teaches Jason philosophy, uh, <laughs> which is which is uh, where which is where we've we've gone with a lot of these, and for good reason, um, because uh, philosophy serves theology. Sure. And both, I will, I will point out to Dr. Smith often that both philosophy and theology serve catechesis. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. That's right. So, Dr. Smith, uh, let's get us started on this uh, this topic of uh, demonstrating God's existence, and let's begin with a very sound guide in Thomas Aquinas. That's right. Yeah. Do you know that that, that often Saint Thomas was referred to as the common doctor? The of the church did, did you know that i, I did know that i did know okay that. <laughs> it's really interesting uh good point so i think uh what uh you know the what you were drawing from cardinal ratzinger benedict 16th uh was a uh important point actually um in terms of the 
the the sense uh, that we often have our, of our own sufficiency. Mm-hmm. I think one of the the things that that blocks belief in God very often these days is that is exactly that, right? That that sense that we really just don't need God, right? We yeah. don't need God to order our world. We don't need God to order our lives or political societies. We don't need God to understand the natural world. Um, and so we have this sort of hubristic sense, right, of um, our own sufficiency, our own power, right, uh, our autonomy or the autonomy of the natural world. And, uh, you know, St. Thomas's uh, arguments for the existence of God in a, in a sort of, uh, in a way, are almost uh, directly counter to that. That mm-hmm. is, we can talk about those arguments as demonstrations of the existence of God, and that's all to the good. But we could also almost reframe them, and sometimes I do, as uh, arguments for the insufficiency of nature, <laughs> um, right? That is that that nature and the natural world doesn't actually explain itself, right? right. That uh, the natural order, as good as it is, right, um, is um, actually, once you start exploring it philosophically, points to its own insufficiency, mm-hmm. right? Uh, C.S. Lewis does a good job in a, a number of places talking about the way in which nature itself kind of signifies that it needs a Lord, right? Right. That it needs something outside of itself. Um, And I think that that's brought forward, I think, uh, pretty strongly uh, in St. Thomas's uh, work on uh, the the proofs. Now, when I say nature is insufficient, what I mean is that by, by nature, I mean, you know, uh, in, in sort of an offhand way, I would say, well, everything that's subject to, you know, the laws of physics and chemistry, that right. sort of thing, right? Uh, the um, uh, space and time, right? Uh, so is there anything beyond space and time? Uh, is there anything beyond physics and chemistry um, uh, such that, that, that there would be, such that we would know that the natural order is not sufficient, you right, know. Right, right. And when you're sort of mapping out worldviews, I mean, one way of doing it sometimes when I've taught an intro class is to say, okay, well, we've got basically you can say nature is sufficient, or there's nature plus something else, right? You know, like like everything is combined in uh, subject to space and time, yeah, right, and change, or there's something beyond, right, space and time, right. And what St. Thomas's proofs do is do a good job of really rebuking, right, the idea of the sufficiency and autonomy of nature, whether we talk about man's nature or the nature of sort of the cosmos as a whole. Yeah, that's really interesting to think, you know, and, and again, especially in our in our modern world, sometimes it may be better to begin with, because, uh, I mean, that idea very much challenges, um, mm-hmm. it puts them on the defensive of, well, sure. you know, is your, is your worldview that, um, mm-hmm. uh, that there is nothing else except for nature, uh, uh mm-hmm. if, you know, um, or, you know, does God exist? So, I mean, you putting it that way, uh, puts them on the defensive and kind of puts the onus on them to say, you know, uh, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to, demo- I'm going to be- try to demonstrate that, you know, there is nature plus something else, something outside of that time sure. and space. Sure. You know, both of these can't be true. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. So what I caught when I'm uh, taking this approach in intro, I call it uh, uh, naturalism or supernaturalism, right? Yeah. That is that, that there is something um, uh, beyond uh, nature, right? 
So in some ways, you could say this is one of the strongest cuts, right, in, in philosophy, in worldviews, um, that sort of thing uh, it, within intellectual culture. Now, interestingly, though, these, these arguments, right, are arguments from nature to the conclusion that there must be something beyond nature, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which sounds uh, paradoxical. Uh, it is. It does sort of strain the mind. But it, the, these proofs have a certain structure. Right. Right. So the structure is to go from observable effects, mm -hmm. right, to the necessary and sufficient cause, mm -hmm. right? So actually we use this kind of reasoning often, right? So if you think about, let's say that you were a, um, that you worked in public health or something like that, mm -hmm. and it became evident to you that there was a, um, a higher incidence of, say, heart disease in a given community, then that's sort of out of the statistical norm. Well, that would be your observed effect. You say, oh, interesting, right? What, why is this the case, right? Your, your next question would be, okay, you know, you, you come to know that it is the case, right? That there's uh, uh, this higher incidence of heart disease. And then you start to ask the question, well, why is that so, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And you might, and then you form some explanations. Well, maybe their diet is really out of whack, right? Maybe there's something about their diet that 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 uh, of the people in this community that it increases heart disease. But then you actually do some investigation. You find out actually their diet's pretty statistically normal, yeah. right? Then you have to start really thinking some more. Like, okay, well, what are, what's going on here, right? Uh, and then you try to you you work towards an explanation that is. Uh, both necessary and sufficient, a causal account that's necessary and sufficient. Let me give another example uh, that may be a little more helpful, although it's it's kind of a, a little more artificial. But let's say that you're walking down the street, okay, uh, say, uh, and somewhere sort of chaotic and anarchic like Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> and um, the um, you're, you're walking down the street and a rock strikes you on the top of the head, Ooh. right? Yeah. Okay. Not like a little pebble. Okay. Right? okay. Yeah, that sounds better. Boom, ow, you know, not like a big bowl. Right. So, so a, a pebble hits you on the top of the head, strikes your head right on the top. Like, what are you going to do? Look up. <laughs> Oops. Right. Yeah. Get hit in the face. Right? <laughs> or duck and anyway, cover. So yeah. You're going to back off and you're going to move to move away. Right. But you observe that there are rocks coming off the top of a building. Right. Now you don't sort of think to yourself, Man, those rocks. I wonder why those rocks are jumping off the top of that building, right? <laughs> those are angry rocks. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Why are those rocks trying to commit suicide, right? Uh, no, right? You would you would infer, even though you can't see the top of the building, what would you infer? Yeah, that somebody's throwing them or that the something collapsed and there's rocks that are falling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, but if it's going over a period of time, they're kind of going out in a general direction, you're going to think somebody's throwing them. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Even though you can't directly observe the cause, right? Yeah. It's rational for you to infer, well, this is the best explanation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. the phenomena that I can observe. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. And that's a good example because, like you said, even though you cannot see the cause itself, mm -hmm. it's rational to, to think that that is the cause. Right. And you yeah. would probably even yeah. call the police based on that rational cause. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Somebody's throwing rocks outside of the building. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, um, uh, um, we use this kind of reasoning, uh, this kind of argumentation on a, on a pretty regular basis mm -hmm. in scientific inquiry, um, when investigating crimes, 
uh, when just trying to understand even our own lives, you know, like right. this is going on. You might ask it, why is it happening? <laughs> right? and it, you know, even in, I know this sounds strange a little bit, but even in psychological studies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes this goes on because you, you observe a certain phenomenon in your life, but you can't directly observe some of your motivations, right? right? It takes sometimes, you know, if it's complicated, sometimes it takes somebody's help to kind of help you figure out like, you know, why do I keep getting so angry at my aunt Betty? Right. You know, yeah, yeah. uh, or whatever it is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, you know, yeah. Uh, spiritual direction, confession, you know, many times it takes those and it'll take those probing questions, sure. um, yeah. the, uh, to get at, to get at the cause of, of something like that. It's not just a, here's the effect, therefore the cause must be. It's not, right. you know, kind of, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. It's not always easy to get to or one step removed from the effect. Sure. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit uh, uh, right. to get there. And it might not be directly observable, right? right? In, in sort of an external, easy kind of way, right? Uh, so all of St. Thomas's uh, arguments are set up in this way. Mm -hmm. There's something in nature that's observable that cannot be fully explained by anything in nature, okay. right? Yeah. Uh, there's something in nature that's observable that's best explained, put it another way, by something outside of nature, by a cause that is outside of nature. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, um, the, you know, St. Thomas uh, articulates five ways in which we can see this, right? Five ways of discovering the insufficiency of nature and the necessity of a supernatural cause. We're not going to go through all five right now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but they're called the, you know, the Quincavia. Um, I don't think any of them are totally original to St. Thomas. Uh, you'd have to do some some work to, yeah. to, to, to fill that out for sure. But, you know, St. Thomas very often is... Uh, his, his genius, you know, involves inheriting thing materials from other people and kind of reorganizing them, refining them, etc. Yeah. The Quincavia is is probably the 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 most concise summary of arguments right for the existence of God. Yeah, I think Saint Bonaventure has a list of like fifteen or something. So <laughs> if you think that like Saint Thomas is being too wordy or too extra concise, you can go look at Bonaventure. But um, <laughs> the uh, um, uh, it's funny when I, Jason when I teach sometimes uh, the, the five ways you know like you can put all five of them on like one piece of paper. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, occasionally the students will come in and I'll say, so what did you think about the five ways? I mean, you think that, you think, you know, they prove it, like God exists, you know? Well, I don't know if I really liked it. Oh, that's not the question to ask, but okay, why? <laughs> okay. And it's, it's kind of wordy. What? What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, he's just trying to prove the existence of God. Right. right yeah. Five times. Yeah. Right? We're not and giving you things. a recipe for like, you know, apple crumble. I mean, it <laughs> <laughs> we're prove, we're trying to prove God's existence. Like, <laughs> I don't think if anything, it's not too wordy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And if you go to the if you go to the Summa and you you read through them, I mean, they're pretty concise. Are they, <laughs> yeah. or here to give the modern person a better a better visual, you could probably fit three of the five on on your computer screen. Right, right, You know, I mean, like they're they're not that big, they're not that long, but well, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, they do have a lot packed into them, and so when I teach oh, yeah. it, it, it takes a while to to lay it all out. So we're not going to go through all five ways right now. Sure, it would, would take a long time. Um, but I think that probably the one that I've found over the years uh, to be uh, the most compelling 
uh, and the most sort of interesting, and I would also say fruitful, um, is uh, the second way, right? Mm -hmm. So I call them the quinquabia, that's the five ways in Latin. Uh, The second way is the argument from uh, causality. Um, But so I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to read this argument, okay? Um, And then I'll back up and sort of try to state it in a way that uh, is maybe a little more teachable and accessible. So, and what part of the, um, what part of the Sumer are these in? Oh, thank you. So these are in question two, article three. Now I will say for the purposes of this podcast, it, you know, we wanted to go right to the question of the existence of God and the insufficiency of nature. Um, but I do want to say that if you're studying St. Thomas, like, in a scholarly way, you probably ought to start with question one. <laughs> so often people jump to uh, question two, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, as we're doing here, but we have a good reason <laughs> for doing it. Um, when I teach uh, philosophy of God, though, I, I spend a lot of time actually in question one, um, just because it helps you understand what St. Thomas is doing. But anyway, so I'm just going to read this. Uh, this is again on uh, question two, article three uh, from the Summa. So here we go. Uh, the second way is from the nature of the efficient cause. In the world of sense, we find there is an order of efficient causes. There is no case known, neither is it indeed possible, in which a thing is found to be the efficient cause of itself. For so it would be prior to itself, which is impossible. Now in efficient causes, it is not possible to go on to infinity, because in all efficient causes following an order, the first cause of the intermediate cause. The first is the cause of the intermediate cause, and the intermediate is the cause of the ultimate cause. That means the last one in the sequence. Mm -hmm. Whether the intermediate cause be several or only one. Now to take away the cause is to take away the effect. Therefore, if there be no first cause among efficient causes, there will be no ultimate nor intermediate cause. But if an efficient cause is possible to go into infinity, there will be no first efficient cause, neither will there be an ultimate nor any intermediate all of which is plainly false. Therefore, it is necessary to to admit a first efficient cause to which everyone gives the name of God. All right, so so it's a lot Um, there. uh, One thing that might be helpful here is what is St. Thomas keeps using this term efficient cause? Yeah, what is that? Define it for us. So efficient cause uh, uh, is the, uh, what you could call the the making cause, right? Or the cause that um, is... Uh, that immediately actualizes. So uh, let's say you're building um, some bookshelves. I think we talked about this before in our yeah. podcast on the causes, but if you're building bookshelves, the, 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 the final cause, that's the goal, right, is to store your books efficiently, right, in an organized way on bookshelves. Get them out of the floor, right? Um, the material cause of the bookshelves is the lumber, right? Um but the um, the efficient cause, right? Uh, so the formal cause would be the structure, right? But the efficient cause is the man putting them together, right? That is the carpenter, right? right. So the actions of the carpenter are what make it all happen, right? So it's right. the immediate source of actualization. So um, that immediate source of actualization or actuality is the efficient cause. So what St. Thomas is saying is there must be a first actualizing cause, a first um uh, cause of uh, actuality, uh, and this is what I'll call God. He says, and he yeah. says "Well, okay, we might want to say some more than that." But um, let me try to, to to kind of simplify the argument a little bit, okay, uh, and clarify it. So 
we start with a, something, we'll start with something that's very, uh, that's evident to observation. And what's evident to observation is that um, uh, change happens, right? right? <laughs> Things that's are a nice changing, way to right? put it. <laughs> <laughs> processes are going on right uh i was yeah i don't know if you've noticed this but rhetorically every every change now is called evolution, evolution right yeah, yeah it's evolved it's, an, yeah it's evolved or we're evolving to something i was just say you just just say you're changing right because the truth is you're just changing i'm right? gonna go evolve my wardrobe right yeah <laughs> the other one is dynamic everything has to be dynamic now you know like well, okay. I mean, like everything needs to be changing. You yeah. know, it just, just means, <laughs> I guess I'm dynamic. It just means it's changing. Okay. So, like, you know, like so and so is a really dynamic speaker. Uh, okay. Just a changing speaker. Okay. That's great. <laughs> All right. But, anyways, <laughs> that's an aside. Um, so, um, change happens, change occurs, change has been going on during this podcast. Um, it's, it, once you start thinking about it, you know, you, it, it's evident, right. To yeah. observation, obvious that we are in a changing reality. Um, things are coming to be and ceasing to be, uh, so that's your first step. Uh, and that, again, you know, I mean, if you want to deny that, okay, like Parmenides, <laughs> you can do that, you know, but, but say Thomas is like, okay, like I'm, I'm not arguing with Parmenides right now. Right? Yeah. It's a whole nother, uh, uh, sort of, uh, beast, so to speak. Um, so we start with that. Then the next thing to, to bring in is what's called the principle of causality. And St. Thomas kind of a, a, alludes to it in here, but doesn't explicitly state it. The basic idea here is that every effect, or better yet to say, every change has a sufficient cause, right? So although I'm, I can say change happens, it's false to say change just happens, right? That is, right, right. you know, changes don't just sort of blip into existence right or like saint thomas is, is we're, we're following Aristotle would want to deny right uh spon spontaneous generation of things right that is when something happens there's a reason that it happens yeah the, the yeah the example that i always have heard you know is the uh, uh the balls on a pool table they don't just immediately uh, uh spread out and, and start rolling around the table there has to be you know, a cause there has to be the, the right. player to hit the cue ball or something like sure. that. Sure. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it's just in general, you know, events are like this, like you, um, uh, changes are like this, you, you, you know, even at the psychological level, when you're talking about human action, you know, mm -hmm. if you do something weird, like, you know, I don't know, like say you and your wife are sitting in the living room and you just get up and drive to the grocery store, right. <laughs> you don't explain it. You don't still, you know, and you come back an hour later. What are we doing? Right. Like what? What did you do? And you're like, oh, I don't know. I went to the grocery store. Why? I don't know. What? Like you, mean you don't know why you went to the grocery store. You didn't buy anything. You just went to the grocery store, right? Like that would be weird. Right? Yeah. You know? uh, so, um, uh, in our normal course of events, this is the case, right? That is, changes have explanations. Changes have reasons. There's a reason something happens. Now, in some complicated or difficult cases, it may be the, it may be that it's hard to figure out. Right, what the cause is, right? Uh, but in most cases, it's not, uh, or it only takes a little work, right? Um, yeah. You know, your car doesn't start. Oh, your battery's dead, right? You know that kind of thing, right? Uh, you know, so um, uh, we can usually find it. And even when it's hard, that that doesn't make us think, oh, there isn't a cause. It's just, well, we got to keep working to figure it out. 
Now, what does he what does he mean when he says now in efficient causes it is not possible to go on to infinity? Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. What What does that mean? You know, before that's a that's a, that, and that's actually the key to the whole argument. But yeah. Before I answer that question, all right, all right. I've got one other premise to lay out, which is about secondary causes, right? So right. if we take the two, the first, the observation that I made about uh, change occurring and then the principal causality, we put those together, then it, it's helpful to go through a little exercise. So if you see anything changing, we'll call it A, okay? You see uh, A changing, then you should immediately infer that it is caused by something else, right? That is that something else caused it to change, mm -hmm. right? We'll call that B, okay? So A is changing, it's caused to change by B, right? Now, what if B itself changes? What should we infer about B? That something changed B like it did A. That's right, yeah, right. So we'll call that C, right? Okay. So C is the cause then of B. Now, what does that make you think about B? Because B is the cause of A, but B is also the effect of C. So yeah, right? yeah, it, it wouldn't be the. I, w I would say it's not. It's not the the uh, the ulti or it's not the first cause because something else yeah, caused no. it. That's right. Yeah, it's an intermediate cause. Yeah, right? yeah. secondary yeah. intermediate. Yeah. 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 So uh, Thomas over the years have developed a little bit of the language like you were just talking about there. Uh, it's a secondary cause, yeah. right? Uh, it's a uh, this is it's a caused cause, right? <laughs> Say that again. So a caused cause. All right, got it. That's right. Yeah. So it's both passively caused. Yeah. And it actively causes. So its cause its causal operation on A right is dependent on and subsequent to the causal operation of C. Right. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Right? So that since we say it's a secondary cause, it it depends on a prior cause in order to exercise its own causality. Right, right, right. Okay. So um, uh, I think that that's, the, that's it's helpful to sort of bring that out. It's really interesting, actually, if you look in the Catechism of Council of Trent, uh, uh, this language of first and secondary causes is mm -hmm. explicitly used, um, which I think is really quite helpful in a number of uh, arguments and disputes that arise in theology and philosophy, um, but especially in theology. Uh, so now I think we're in a position to talk about this question of the infinite regress. So this is the way I like to pose the question. Now we recognize that there are secondary causes. And if you start thinking about it, really, reflecting on it, pretty quickly you kind of the realization that pretty much everything you experience is secondary cause. Right? Yeah, yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe real quick, Dr. Smith, like if you look again, go back to the, uh, the pool table. So if you mm -hmm. see the, 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 uh, um, uh, the the numbered uh, balls that are out there, the uh, the cue ball that hits them, you would say, oh, that's what caused all the other balls to go all over the table. Okay, mm -hmm. well, the the cue ball then is the one that caused uh, that reaction. Okay, well, but hang on, the cue ball at one point was standing still, so something that's right. something made the cue ball move. So you'd say, okay, the cue ball is a secondary cause, or the cue ball is an intermediary cause uh mm -hmm. um in that uh, but yeah. it's not the yes. first cause yeah right yeah, yeah yeah so what put the cue ball in motion right exactly the pool player 
the stick. Yeah, the, the cue, right? Yeah. And then the pool player, right? So you start going through those, right? And you start, wow, like, okay, like, actually, yeah, everything's kind of a secondary call. There's a right? lot of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, well, not everything, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, we're surrounded by secondary causes. Yeah. Um, and um, again, we think secondary, um, you know, dependent kind of causes, the kinds of uh, causes that depend on uh, prior actualization by something else, mm-hmm. right? So um, uh, uh, now we can ask ourselves, okay, well, is a, a reality entirely constructed of secondary causes sufficient explanation for change? Yeah. Right. So I'll say that question again. Is a reality, even an infinite reality, right? If there was such a thing, um, sufficient for an explanation of change, the change that we observe. Another way of putting this is if you had, if you had an infinite series of secondary causes, right? Would that be a sufficient explanation for the change that we observe? And St. Thomas wants to say no, right? Even it, uh, so, this is this is I think one way of, of thinking about the infinite regress question. Yeah. So if if everything was a secondary cause, if every cause was a secondary cause, right? Then you would have an infinite regression of secondary causes, right? That was you were just one one and another one and another one. You have to have another one and another one. Yeah. Even if you went out to a million billion or whatever, I don't know if that's a number. Um, then it wouldn't. You'd still then like once you got to that one billionth secondary cause you'd need the one billion and one and on and on right um what that points to i think is the insufficiency of secondary causes mm-hmm. uh, so uh secondary causes by their very nature are dependent upon a prior cause so would even an infinity of them um uh, explain the change we see, and the answer is no. Right? right? right. They would not, um, because all of them, every single one, even to infinity, even if you suppose by hypothesis an infinity of them, none of them have the power to cause on their own. Right. Right. That's the key. Right. At, at in terms of causal efficacy, right, they are all at zero in terms of themselves. Right. They all receive causal efficacy from another. Right? Yeah. So even if you had an infinite set of such causes, right, um, they could not explain what the origin of the power to cause. And I would say even, you know, for the for the you don't have to be a theologian or a believing Christian to to follow this principle. I mean, even the the quote man of science, if they're mm-hmm. if they are observing something and they see that uh, it, it's it's causing something they would say okay well what how did this one get to a point where it caused something oh this one changed okay what caused a change in that one and so they would look for a cause so i mean it, it's not something they would say oh hmm, i guess it just goes on forever i mean that's weird but who knows like no even like that that kind of thinking uh uh you know it, it falls within uh not just not just the the different realms of science and theology and philosophy but uh, uh, common sense. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it just, it's, it's something that we, you know, uh, that we live by. And that's why, you know, people go to those, uh, kind of, uh, sometimes those almost ridiculous examples where they say, you know, a, a book 
was caused by an explosion in a print factory, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the chaos of it or something like that, you know, like, no, there, there has to be kind of this, uh, um, uh, we can't go on to this infinite regress. It does not make sense mm-hmm. on just a common mm-hmm. sense uh, level. Now, granted, sure. I'm assuming yeah. common sense. So, I mean, I know that's a big <laughs> jump. Sometimes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, um, and actually, you know, when, when I teach this, probably the, the common sense intuition that's behind this is, well, is the claim, well, it all had to come from somewhere, right? Right. Um, which is kind of an expression of the idea that nothing comes from nothing, right? That, it, that, you, that, that you can't get something from nothing. And so yeah. there had to be some permanent something, right? Uh, now, that's kind of vague and inarticulate, but it kind of gets at, I think, kind of the sort of reasoning, the sort of insight Right. That is underneath this kind of argumentation. So once you realize, uh, Jason, that, that secondary causes, even an infinite series of secondary causes, is not sufficient, then you see, you have basically a couple of choices here. Either you could say, well, change doesn't happen, right? Well, but that's, that's absurd, yeah. right? Because <laughs> we observe it, right? Um, another option is to say, well, the universe is inherently irrational. That just... There is no explanation ultimately for this phenomena that we observe. It does happen, but we can't explain why. At a fundamental level, just the universe is irrational. Um, you can do that, right? But not coherently or logically, yeah. right? So right. if you do that, then you're basically uh, an absurdist, right? <laughs> um, and you really don't have anything else to say at that point, right? You're just absurd. Yeah. And, uh, and really like, you know, mathematics, science, physics, economics, architecture, all that. Astronomy, all, right? yeah. Engineering, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of you are just like, well, maybe, I don't know. Just, you know, just throwing stuff up against the wall and some stuff sticks or something. I don't know. But anyways, the, um, you know, philosophers are generally not going to take that approach. So, yeah. um, the, uh, and, and com- again, common sense doesn't take that approach. Right. Um, so, uh, more importantly, <laughs> Uh, so what we have to conclude then is, since there is change, and the universe is at least you know moderately rational, I would say is rational, but um, it necessarily follows that there has to be a kind of cause other than a secondary cause. Right. There has to be a kind of cause that does not depend upon a prior cause to exercise its causal efficacy. And that prior cause is the first cause, right? So it's a different – here's the key. It's, a, it's not first in the sense of first in a sequence – that's an okay way to start thinking about it, but that's yeah. not really what Saint is saying. First causality is a different kind of cause, mm, right? Interesting. Uh, it's a kind of causality that does not depend upon prior causality. Right. So we're we're used to thinking in terms of secondary causes, even if we don't sort of say that explicitly. Uh, but but you know, in terms of kind of the form or structure of secondary causality, right. secondary causality is the kind of causality that depends on on some prior causality. There, what Thomas is saying is there has to be something outside of that chain, yeah. right? Yeah, outside yeah. of secondary causes, outside of changing things, right? Um, that is um, uh, a different kind of causality, namely uh, first causality. I think that's probably like one of the biggest like takeaways from uh, this argument and this kind of approach is to, th- and I think you know, how something as, you know, dry as explaining, you know, some people may say it's, you know, kind of dry going through the, I know, I know, I know not, I know not you. I'm talking about most other people. 
Uh, obviously not you. It's dry. It's dry like gold. <laughs> That's right. It's dry like gold. Gold is dry. <laughs> it's gold. But <laughs> but I mean, like to 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 move your thinking beyond um um the sequence when you're talking about first cause. To, because I mean, again, that's because you know, in the, the examples we use, they're sequential sure. examples, and so that's where your mind will go. Well, there has to be that first person or that first one who moves the things. Uh, but I think you know, if 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 we really want to look at uh, uh, the the beauty of, of of something like this, the gold is that no, it's totally different. It's outside of in, in a way, it's outside of the sequence. It's. That's right. It's in charge of the entire sequence, uh, uh, in a way, and so I mean, uh, you know, I think that's you know, if you're gonna take away anything yeah, about this, sure. uh, I think that I think that part of it is huge, and also points, you know, to the uh, the grandeur of God, you know, the the sure. um, that it's that it is this this different thing. Just don't think of the sure. first cause as just a sequential yeah. uh, uh, movement or something like that. Right. That's a good point, uh, Jason. And, and it also highlights then another kind of aspect of this, which you might say, well, um, okay, well, if it's so different, then how does it interact with the secondary causes? Yeah. And I can intelligently say, I mean, so one of the things I love about St. Thomas is St. Thomas pushes reason as far as it'll go. Mm-hmm. And then when, when it's reasonable to say, I don't know, he says, I don't know, right? <laughs> right? He, he recognizes both the power of reason and its limits. Yeah. So he said, he, so what we, what we should say about that is, well, look, I don't know exactly how the first cause operates on the secondary causes. You know why? Because I have no direct experience of a first cause. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not a first cause. Yeah. Um, more, but even, but you could still say, I know that it's still, I know that it exists, but because it cannot be otherwise. Right. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So I may not be able to explain everything about it. I will actually say we can do some, some further things about the first cause, mm-hmm. some further things that make it, approximate uh, more clearly what's represented in the Bible about God. But um, at the same time, it's, it's completely reasonable to say, I know it must exist because it cannot be otherwise. Right. There is no other sufficient explanation for the phenomena that we adhere to. So either again, you either just become an absurdist right. and throw up your hands and say, universe is absurd, or you accept the existence of the first cause even though it's not completely um, uh, comprehensible. Exactly. And I think, you know, if somebody does, because uh, I've had not a, not a whole lot, but I've had like one or two people like try to take the absurdist point or the absurdist yeah. position, you know, but, you know, a quick example, well, you know, then I would say is nature observable and does it does it have the inner order to, be organized in such a way as to be comprehended by your mind and they would say mm-hmm. well yeah it's like okay <laughs> then you're, you're you not know, right the, the fact <laughs> right. that the fact that a science book exists mm-hmm. right destroys your absurdist position mm-hmm. because nature is knowable it's organized it, we can organize it in a way such mm-hmm. that the mind can grasp it so it's not this random uh mm-hmm. um thing it's not this uh um kind of just uh what was the word you used just uh, uh arbitrary arbitrary or, yeah or yeah, just yeah yeah just random and you know uh we can't know it it's it's unpredictable it can do whatever right. it wants mm-hmm. uh uh something like that like no it's not mm-hmm. and and you know this on 
so many different levels, whether, again, whether it's math or science or uh, mm-hmm. English. Well, English is pretty absurd, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 what is that? Shots fired. What are you talking about, man? <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? Like, it's so many. Are, like t- the, are you trying to diss Jane Austen or something? I don't know what that was. <laughs> like, you don't like. Oh, the, accept- the exceptions to the rules. The exceptions. Okay. <laughs> All of the exceptions to the rules. <laughs> it gets maybe a, maybe we're gonna have a philosophy of literature man we're gonna have like grammarians <laughs> like storming csa I mean, jason's attacking the, the absurdity of canon man uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh um but yeah so this 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 absurdist position yeah it's just it can't when when i think you know you really put it to people they can't uh, they're not going to stay with it. Yeah, it's, nobody believes it. Yeah, nobody uh, really I mean, believes yeah, it. Not, not really. I mean, uh, this is, I think, where you know Romans chapter one is so so useful, right? Is that at some point you just say, "Look, man. I mean, I don't if you'd say this directly, but you might." Uh, I have an occasion. Yeah, you're just suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, man. Like you know, <laughs> like, like your wicked heart doesn't want there to be a God. Just yeah. admit it, right? Uh, and so you're willing to say the whole universe is absurd, right? Including yourself, right? right. Um, in order to avoid conceding that God exists. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, come on, right? Yeah. Seriously. Um, so, uh, uh, can I just add a couple yeah, final yeah. points? I know we're kind of drawing to close here, but kind of, I think some loose ends to wrap up that it sort of are kind of bring out, like, I mean, I just think this argument is so exciting and interesting. It really, I, it helps me to think about God. Right. So one of the things I think is really interesting about this argument is not just demonstrating the existence of God, Right, God is the first cause. Demonstrated that there's a first cause, therefore God exists. Um, but even kind of what it tells me about God and sort of the picture of the world. Right. Yeah. So we started off with the idea of talking about the insufficiency of nature. Right. Right. Now, uh, so you might say, okay, you've demonstrated first cause. Does that really demonstrate the insufficiency of nature? Yeah, I think so. Because when we're talking about nature, natural things, we're talking about secondary causes. We're talking about caused causes. Um, we're talking about things that change, right? right? Nature, all things that are natural are changing things, right? right? Now, by changing, I don't necessarily mean evolving into other, you know, other species, but I just mean changing, right? Natural things change, yeah. whether you're talking about geological uh, structures uh, all the way up to organic uh, structures, right? Mm-hmm. They're 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 changing, even the 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 planets and the stars and all of that, right? Nature is changing. So let me ask you this question. Jason, can the first cause change? No. Otherwise, it wouldn't no. be the first cause. Exactly. It would just be another right. secondary cause, and then we'd get right an on, infinite right regress. On. That's right. So, right. We'd, right. We'd collapse right back in the infinite regress. So that's so important, right? So see, the first cause. So it's important for a couple of reasons. One, it's important to because un- it kind of helps you a little bit to understand the first cause a little bit more, right? Yeah. Get a better picture. Uh, the first cause is, uh, the technical term for this is immutable, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, um, interesting. Go look it up for yourself. You know, hear me now and believe me later. It's in right the documents of the First Vatican Council. Right? It's a, it's a dogma of the faith that God is unchanging, is immutable. Right. Um, the um, uh, um, in addition to it being a dogma of the faith, it's also something known to right reason. Okay. Right. 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 <laughs> that that the first cause must be unchanging. Um, must be uh, immutable. Um, so if the if it changed, like you said, Jason, if it if the first cause changed, then there would have to be a prior cause, right? Mm-hmm. Given the principle of causality. 
So it must be the case. It cannot be otherwise than that the first cause is itself unchanging and, uh, and immutable. Um, that has a couple of interesting implications, uh, but one of them is it clearly sets the first cause outside of nature. Right? Yeah. So there must be an unchanging first cause, right? Nature cannot explain itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it is insufficient unto itself. Uh, thinking about nature philosophically reveals to us, discloses to us the insufficiency of nature and the absolute logical necessity of an unchanging first cause, right? And one of the hallmarks of the fact, one of the signs of the fact that it's uh, outside of nature is that it's unchanging because everything in nature right, changes. changes yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that's, uh, uh, I like that you, you, you set that within the, you know, the... Uh, the worldview, you know, when you're thinking mm-hmm. about uh, when you're thinking about these things and you're setting those foundations uh, um, to, to have that to have that understanding of, again, not just a sequential. This is the first cause, but to say, you know, OK, well, you know, the, the first cause is is like secondary causes in that they may cause other things, but it is wholly different because mm-hmm. it, it, it because it, it is it is not caused. It is, mm-hmm. in, in fact, it's completely unchanging. It is immutable. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, and and this is where you know where you know theology picks up where philosophy leaves off. Mm-hmm. So okay, we can we can get to this point that we have this unchanging first cause, uh, as Saint Thomas says, to which everyone gives the name God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then this God comes and reveals Himself, and mm-hmm. so from divine revelation, then we can get an even uh, deeper glimpse into uh, uh, this, this first efficient cause. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, and I think that also, you know, shows, you know, the, the, the beauty of, you know, philosophy and theology together, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it's, you know, uh, uh, important to bring these, bring these two together because, you know, one enlightens the other uh, mm-hmm. uh, in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Well, yeah, certainly, philosophy in that way sort of serves as a as a handmaid. Um, I know we need to wrap up here, but I just want to just add one final thought here yeah. um, that I think is useful. Just just think how cool it is in a way, right? I mean, <laughs> that when you think about reality, if you accept this argument, which you should, um, then this whole changing reality that we exist in, right, that we labor through. Right, we enjoy, and then sometimes we suffer from. Right, All, like that whole reality itself, radically, and I mean that in the literal sense, to the roots, depends on an unchanging reality. Right, yeah. like there's 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 this unchanging agent actualizing all of this changing world. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just so neat to to kind of think about, like, wow, the world. Um, uh, is so uh, different than it might, like in its fundamental roots, but is, is somewhat different than it might appear just on the um, uh, on the surface. Um, the one last thing to think about as as just kind of this something to think about going forward, and I promise at some point we'll deliver on this. Probably when we're doing like <laughs> philosophy of God course or something like that. Um, but you might ask yourself, think about this a little bit. Just think about this idea, right? That. What I just said is that everything in this changing world depends upon the actualization of this prior uh, causality, not back in time, but right now, right? Yeah. That is the whole of secondary causes, right? 
currently depends upon the active power of the first cause, right? Uh, the unchanging, immutable active power of the first cause. Um, that means that God right now, right, is the first cause of every effect. Not the only cause, right? <laughs> the first but the cause. first cause. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. There are lots of secondary causes, but God is the is the first cause of every effect. And I think that that's a lot that gives you a lot of food for thought. Yeah, yeah, and uh, John Paul II, uh, you know, he he had this great quote about uh, God's continued maintenance. That's what he called it. Mm. Uh, that mm. God's continued maintenance is part of part of His creative power. I mean, mm. so many times we reduce creation to the start of the world, uh, mm-hmm. or something like that, or you know, culminating in the the uh, the the creation of man and the Sabbath and creation sure. with a big C, rightly speaking, you know, can be summed up in those things. But God's creation, God's creative uh, um, exercise does not, it, it doesn't terminate with the Sabbath. That it's like you said, it's continuing today. That's uh, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, uh, uh, it's beautiful in that way. And we have yeah. a participation in that. Um, I want to point our viewers, you know, Dr. Smith just put out a, a, a blog post on, uh, education is cultivating uh education saint thomas talks about education his philosophy of education is in his uh, discussion on creation um mm-hmm. and so we we have many different ways that we participate in god's uh creation but like you said to uh you know i think in our in our prayer life it's important to go back to those foundational things uh mm-hmm. this being one of them that there is this this unchanging first efficient cause you know uh, and, and what exactly what exactly does that mean that it it, it really i mean it just it's you know just to stand in, in awe of that uh is a, is a beautiful thing sure and so uh dr smith uh, thank you for for bringing us one of uh thomas's five ways here that we've we've gone through i hope our listeners have found this uh, uh, edifying and I hope they've uh, gained a lot from it. In the meantime, check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Until next time, God bless. In the meantime,